Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash IXE. Over 150,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Audible.com is your source for digital audiobooks. My personal favorite is Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, read by Stephen Fry. It's amazing. So get your free 30-day trial and free audiobook download and show your support for the intellectual podcast by going to www.audibletrial.com slash IXE. Hello there, citizens. I am the terror that flaps in the night. I am the floaty that will not flush no matter how many times you try in the toilet bowl of crime. I am Darkwing Duck. Telling you, please, talk hard and enjoy the mindgasm. <laughs> Whatever the heck that means. After all, you are watching Intellectual Podcast with your ears. Hello, folks. Welcome back to the Intellectual Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Dawson. I got the 98th episode of the Intellectual Podcast to bring to you tonight. It's a cool episode with someone I was extremely excited to have on the show. A beautiful woman by the name of Gigi Edgley. Those of you who are sci-fi fans will recognize her from the TV show Farscape. And if you've been watching Jim Henson's Creature Shop this past season on sci-fi, you will recognize her as the host of Jim Henson's Creature Shop. So we had a lot to talk about with Gigi. Um, She's a very cool woman. She is here in the States from Australia, where they were shooting Farscape. Farscape was shot in Australia, if you didn't know that. Um... It's a cool discussion because we get to talk about working with puppets, we get to talk about sci-fi, we get to talk about traveling all around the world to pursue your dreams, and sometimes they work out the way you expect, and sometimes they don't, and uh, it's just a very cool discussion. Before we get to that, a little bit of uh, intellectual entertainment news. Uh, Some of you may have caught us on KUSI this morning on the Good Morning San Diego television program. Talking about an evening with the intellectuals, our big film premiere and podcast event coming on June 14th at the Horton Grand Theater in the beautiful Gaslamp District of downtown San Diego. We want to see you there. It's going to be a fantastic evening. We have a brand new short film, which followers of this podcast are already familiar with. Things happen, which we'll be premiering that night. Uh, we'll have a Q&A with all the filmmakers and the actors, and you'll get to ask questions yourself of the entire group that helped make this fantastic film. Really, it's the movie that I've made so far that I'm the most proud of, and I can't wait to show it to a public audience. This is going to be so much fun. We will also be showing the European version of Unlucky Charms, our award-winning short silent film from last year. This uh, special screening of Unlucky Charms will include a soundtrack that was composed by a composer in Bucharest last year when the film was shown at a film festival in Europe. So it's a very special presentation of Unlucky Charms. And then to top the night off, the big 100th episode of the Intellectual Podcast will be recorded live on stage. We've got several people who are going to be guests on the show, and it's going to be interactive with the audience as well. So it's your chance to be a part of the Intellectual Podcast. 
by joining us for the live recording on June 14th at the Horton Grand Theater in the beautiful gas lamp district of downtown San Diego. We'll also be showing some trailers uh, for local films that are being produced. So you get a bit of a taste on what some of our filmmaking friends in town are also up to. So it's going to be a great night of festivities. Uh, there will be drinks. The, the lobby opens at 530. The, the bar opens at the same time. So you have a half hour before we even start the program to get the party started. And we will roll from 6 to 8 o'clock. We'll have one intermission before the podcast begins after we show the short films. And then uh, we'll all be going to the Palace Bar at the Horton Grand Hotel to continue celebrating the night when the program is complete. So it's a chance to come hang out with the intellectuals and have a, a great time and meet a lot of filmmakers here in San Diego. Not just us, but uh, a bunch of others who will be joining us for the evening. And I hope you come out. Tickets are only $10. And you can find a link to purchase those tickets at our website, www.ixe.us. That's ixe.us. Just click on the purchase tickets link in the menu or follow the giant banner on the front page. And now we get to the 98th episode of the Intellectual Podcast with Gigi Edgley. Talk hard and enjoy the mindgasm. The Intellectual Podcast starts now. How long have you... Like, have um, you known Gigi for a while, Carla? Since her first Comic-Con. When was that? In the San Diego one. Yeah. Like, years ago. Like, like when years. I was a fetus. <laughs> yes. Um, that was probably around 2000, 2001. Yes. Easily. Yeah. Just yesterday. I remember it yeah. well. It's like that um, song out of Gigi. Ah, yes. I remember mm-hmm. it well. <laughs> it was June. It was May. <laughs> we're on time. No, you were no, late. No, you were late. <laughs> it was... At Fresh Brothers. You two can do the duo on that. Okay. I'll do more issue about you. You can do Hermione Gingold. Okay, I'm really sorry. I know all that, but... No. That's all right. Carry on. That's your homework. Yeah. Steve's our repository Stop the interview. of useless knowledge. Yes. Um, Gigi, thanks for taking the time to sit with us. Thank You're like you. in the middle of a move or something right now, right? Oh, my gosh, guys. I can't even... It's like the worst, It's right? been like Moving? the tumultuous... Like the last, I don't even know, all my years blend into comic cons, blend into productions, blend into moving. I seem to have to have shipped my dog MacGyver and my cat around the world three times already. And, and like today they were in the car and the cat's like, and the dog's got the biggest smile on his face. And we're like, and I looked at my sister and I said, is this, are we just like repeating what our parents did? Because our parents are, were my mom and my dad uh, in their heyday? They were. Um, that's just my Harley parked outside. I like to keep <laughs> <Yeah>. it running. <laughs> it's my es- escape if I need to get out quickly. <laughs> it's a nice shade uh, of blue. Yes, nice. reminds me of Sam. Um, so my mum and dad were big time entrepreneurs in old school showbiz and they travelled around a lot and they bought Aparishnikov and Nureyev and the Bolshoi Ballet and Cirque du Soleil and Kiss and anyone who was anyone they travelled them around the world and and they brought them to Australia so we moved 
it was almost more than being an army brat. We, I was a showbiz brat <laughs> and we just moved constantly and, you know, mum and dad would just pack us up and, okay, we're on to the next one now. And I turned to my sister today as the cat was meowing and the dog was like, uh? I said, I think we're just, we've just turned into mum and dad. Okay, kids, get in the car. We're moving again. It's terrifying <laughs> when you realise you've become your parents. I, yes, correct. Affirmative all round. Yeah. All round. <laughs> Sit up straight. <laughs> That's what my, my dad said. My dad always said, you'll never be a famous movie star like Nicole Kidman if, if you're shaped like a banana. I'm like, thanks, Dad. <laughs> Maybe that's why I haven't hit the big time yet. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so, yeah, I'm in the middle of a move. I moved from Topanga Canyon because uh, I moved. Uh, I came out here to shoot Jim Henson's Creature Shop Challenge and I felt that it was very much going to go for a second season because that was sort of what was indicated through sci-fi and Henson's and, you know, you never know until you're on set and the cameras are rolling because uh, that's part of the, the show business base. So anyway, I decided to pack my husband up and my dog and my cat from Australia and move them all out in hope that season two would happen. And unfortunately, at this stage, it has not. Uh, well, and then That was se- going to be one of my first questions because yeah. my sisters uh, loved the show. Oh, it was fantastic. I only got to catch a couple of episodes, but I caught the, I caught the Skeksis episode. I was lying uh, on Brian's couch not that long ago going, let's do a Kickstarter for it. Let's do anything. Let's come on. Like people would, people, every person that I meet is in love with that show because I thought for a reality television, it was extremely creative and the judges weren't, you know, they gave constructive criticism and it was something, it was a beautiful process to watch. It was almost too friendly for TV. Yeah, maybe that's why. We needed to be mean, mean. More drama. Bring the claws out. Exactly. <laughs> Literally, the all the skexies will throw you down <laughs> down a hole. It was so exciting because I, you know, all of us have been influenced by the Henson Company growing up. So mm-hmm. to get a sneak peek in to the creature shop and see how they have made these extraordinary parts of our life, like you think of the Dark Crystal and the Labyrinth, and you think of the Storyteller and the Muppets and Fraggle Rock and everything. So it's just. It was such a special blessing to to actually, you know, not only host it but just to be in there. And, I mean, any time that I had a second on set where it was downtime, I'd be, you know, scurrying through materials and playing with little things here and there. And, like, Brian and the assistant director's like, Gigi, stop, put it down. (laughs) I just want to play. You would think that uh, they would want to tie in uh, the show with the bringing back of the Muppet show. The more modern, I guess they're just uh, Jim Henson's company is, or Brian Henson's company uh, is now focused on that. Yeah, I just, I, I, I mean, I, I sci-fi. I, I believe the reason why it's not going again is sci-fi want, was interested in picking it up, but for you know a quarter of the budget. How strange! And Brian said, "No, these creatures need to look amazing, and as they, as they do, and already we we're on quite a tight budget to start with. So I, I, I well, know that they the are shopping around, right? Yeah, yeah. And, that, and, that, and that was the idea of the show, though, too, is to get these artists in there to explore and to to make amazing creatures. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's like, like it's like pulling a rug out from under a child, going, right. 'No, you can't learn anything this week.' Yeah. It's devastating. And it was really hard too because I connected with these creature designers because they're so passionate and they're like, you know, we all know we're all struggling artists and you might win big but a lot of the time you're trying to pay the bills and you're trying to, you know, move forward with a positive 
frame of mind. And I looked at these amazing designers. They're so talented and they're so, oh, so intelligent. And when I had to do the first round of elimination, I burst into tears and they pulled me aside. They went, you, you can't be teary. You need to be a host. And I'm like, I know, but I connect with these people because that's me. I'm always waiting for the phone to call. And you always, you know, you, every day you wake up hoping that today will be the day that your dream will be, you know, b- become a reality. And, and so it was devastating looking in these beautiful people's eyes, these talented masters are going, oh, goodbye. No, Your journey you, you, is You don't complete. want to be the guy in the Too casting nice. <laughs> in, in, in the casting room going, yeah, next. So yeah, yeah, 100%. So I, and, you know, I, I, yeah, I, I personally wanted to get amongst it more. I said to Brian, I want to be the audience. I want to ask the silly questions and I don't want to be just a, a talking head and, you know, a, a girl that smiles sweetly and repeats lines. I want to get amongst it. And they were all for it. And then when we started shooting, you know, schedules are busy and sci-fi had a very clear idea of how they wanted to shoot the show, which is a formula that has worked many times before. But I just wanted to get my hands dirty a bit. (laughs) (laughs) Stop playing with all the things again. How did the hosting gig on that come about? Well, I was actually in... uh, in, I worked for uh, Rescue Special Ops, which was a show that was... I played a leading lady who was amazing. She was fantastic. She was on the opposite end of the spectrum to Chiana she had huge morals and she was married and you know very monogamous and very passionate about her job and and great stunt work and it was a very popular show which was really exciting and they trained us up for a month before throwing us off cliffs and blowing us up and abseiling and rock climbing and so then I did that for three seasons and then after that I did a show called Tricky Business which was another Australian show for a season and then I had like oh, a good few months with no work and I, I was like, you know what, maybe maybe I'm done, maybe this is it because I, uh, after Tricky Business that was again a show where the producers came to set and went, this is going to be the next big thing, it's award winning, everyone can't stop, can't stop talking about it. And then sure enough, they're like, oh, by the way, we're not picking it up. Like, what? (laughs) And it was round about that point that now I'm 37, turning 38 this year. And I went, maybe I'm done because now I'm getting obsessed with ratings and I'm getting obsessed with who's reviews and stuff. And that's not what what drew me into the business. I love telling stories and I love dressing up and playing make-believe. And all of a sudden, because you get older, I guess, with more responsibilities, I was like, the ratings, if they're good, means you can eat and pay your bills. <laughs> so it kind of, you know, sort of went hand in hand. And I spoke to my husband at the time and I went, I think that's it. So I started a dog walking business and I it was called MacGyver and Me because my dog's name is MacGyver. And I was so excited. I made up a website and I'm like, this is my new empire. I can talk to dogs and cats a lot better than I can people. This is great because every time when I'm learning my lines or in my own bubble, I'm always with my dog, my cat, walking or whatever. And I was there like going, how can I pay my bills? How can I pay my bills? And my sister was on a dog walk with me and she's like, why don't you just do this? And I was like, yes, this is perfect. So I made up my website through webs.com or whatever and it was very clunky, but I thought it was (laughs) the best thing since sliced bread. I can fly a spaceship and I can kind of make a website. (laughs) (laughs) And so I made this thing and I sent it, you know, the test run to my family. And first of all, the the front picture had me riding a unicycle because one of the interviews I did for Tricky Business was what 10 things can you not live without? So one of them was my morning unicycle rides with my dog. 
because my ex-husband taught me how to unicycle ride. Anyway, blah, blah, blah. That so, is the weirdest I know, thing I've ever heard. I, that just whole, it doesn't make sense coming out of a mouth, does it? I love the pictures of you oh. unicycling. It's so awesome. My morning unicycle <laughs> oh ride my with God. my dog. I've never heard that ever. So, well, this That's is amazing. the thing. So really? It's, it's this really great photo of MacGyver, and he's a pretty, you know, he's a golden retriever, so he's always a bit like, ugh. <laughs> but he's got the biggest smile on his face and he's leaping through the air and I'm there unicycling next to him. So I'm like, perfect. That's a nice, happy, sweet photo. Interesting to look at front of the site. And everyone calls up going, so are you unicycling with the dogs? What if you run over the dog? What Are you going to be bike riding with that? Are you going to take group? Are you teaching? I'm like, no, it's just a nice photo. How good's your insurance? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. No one wants to give me their dog because they're scared that I'm going to unicycle over. Crazy I'm like, woman wants to drive her bike over. <laughs> waiting for the phone to call. I can't quite figure it out. <laughs> so then, and my, then my mum goes, that's a terrible name because no one knows how to spell MacGyver. So that even when you get it up and running, people are going to be like, MacGyver and me. Like, so then we turned it into Mac and me because that was easy. So anyway, so no I, copyright uh, no, problems there. No, none. <laughs> this is quite clearly way, why MacGyver the business was not successful. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I can't figure it out why I'm getting sued by 10 different companies. <laughs> and you, then you're have the, having to pick up MacGyver's creations yeah. that he puts together. Yeah. And then I'll be having to walk a lot of dogs to pay that off, won't <laughs> yeah. I? So anyway, so then I decided I would print out a thousand flyers, but then I think the rate for five thousand flyers was so much cheaper. So I think yeah, it was only I'm like 20 sure. dollars different, right? Like, <laughs> I might as well do five thousand. I know I can get rid of them all. And I was sitting there, like walking the dog with my backpack full of flyers, trying to put them like in people's mailboxes. And these days, people don't like that. You know, they come out and yell at you. Some people, and I. I'm thinking this will be good advertising because I'm walking my dog as I do it. And then we're up to the third letterbox and MacGyver like puts his haunches into the ground and will not move. I'm like, come on, come on, MacGyver, come on. He's looking at me like, screw you. I want to go and lie on your bed and not have to walk the streets. <laughs> Just feed me my treats. I don't want to walk with other oh, dogs anyway. No. So that was a disaster. I, 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 I like walked solid for days and days and I looked at the box and we barely made a dent you know I was sunburnt and dehydrated and <laughs> lost in the streets I was like oh so anyway strangely enough I, as I was walking I was saying my affirmations and going okay God Zen Universe Buddha whoever's out there please please help me pay my bills and give me a, a purpose to living again and uh, sure enough, I got this weird email from my agents in uh, the States. And I hadn't been in the States now for like four or five years because I did the other two shows. And they said, ah, can you uh, contact us because Sci-Fi and the Hensons want you to host something. And I just assumed it was a convention because, you know, I, I did every now and then I did the conventions. And um, so I Skyped the lady and she's like, oh, yeah, you know, Brian Hansen and uh, Sci-Fi really want you to host the Jim Hansen Creature Shop Challenge. And I'm like, what? what? <laughs> <laughs> Screw the dog walking. <laughs> I hate dogs. <laughs> so and then, yeah, within it was really random. Like, and I said, oh, my gosh, I'd really love to do it. She's like, where are you? And I went, I'm in Australia. And she goes, oh. I went, no, no, look, if you give me that part, I will swim there right now. I would like to <laughs> sign me up. Now, did you know that it was going to be uh, as long as it was or did you think it was maybe it was special or? 
They said, well, they put it that it was a that it was going straight to series, that it wasn't a pilot, that it was going to be, I think it was eight episodes all up, and then it had, and then it was option for further pickup series. So it felt pretty positive, and it was just so nice because I've been working for so many, ever since I was twelve, I've been acting, whether it be theatre or community or dance or anything I can do because that was always my escape and that was when I felt safe and that was when I felt like telling stories is just the best thing in the whole wide world. So then it, and it was, touch wood, a pretty constant uh, flow of work. So it was my, that that point after after Tricky Business, I was like, oh, my gosh, what's happening? And that's where I sort of went. I, I don't know which direction my life's going to go in. And then as soon as I got the phone call, and I, I pretty much made, made a very firm decision in my head thinking that was it. I, I'd done my dash with, you know, film and television. And then as soon as the call comes in, I'm, I'm like, yep. <laughs> <laughs> Pulled me back in. Oh, Kicking and screaming. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, okay, way. where do I sign? I'll pay you. <laughs> <laughs> it's like an addictive thing. It's in your blood and it's like, oh, yes, it's so good when you're on on set filming and you know you're like yes that's right this is where I'm meant to be everything starts to make sense now so I thought yeah it was I think the first one was about eight episodes and it was very you know it was one of the top rating shows on sci-fi it got great reviews everyone loved it so that's why I was I felt very passionate that it would go again but that's the nature of the beast and then an interesting thing happened is that I was at Dragon Con and now it's 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 kind of since the tricky business days and and learning from Creature Shop as well, where you go, I love working with the big, um, you know, the big, the big networks and the big, the big um, studios. But it's so nice when you can be your own boss as well. So I got approached at DragonCon by Runic Films, and they said we've got this great script. Would you be, you know, interested in telling the story with us? And I said, sure. Let, let me have a look. And it was awesome. It was called Hashtag. And it's a, a short film. Mm-hmm. And I said, what do you want to do with it? And they said, well, we want to make an amazing film and we want to take it to all the different festivals and we want to aim it at Sundance, Cannes and Toronto. I'm like, okay, let's have a, a read. Read it, amazing. And then I said, how are we going to come up with the money? And they said, uh, Kickstarter. And I, I hadn't really learned a lot about Kickstarter and I was very much on the back foot because I don't, I'm not one to, you know, the, the people that have looked after me my whole life even more so than some of my family members are the people that have supported me since Farscape days and fans that have, you know, you've been there the whole journey. You, yep. you probably know me more than some of my family members. <laughs> Sorry, babe. <laughs> my bad. <laughs> but um, I'm a big fan of the fans and I don't want to exhaust that, you know, right. the, the, their hearts and their souls and their wallets. So they said, they said, look, people actually really love Kickstarters because it's, it's everyone making a production together and, you know, people can give what they give and you're literally joining forces to make something wonderful. Right. So we gave it a bash and we got there and we raised over $44,000 and then we shot the film uh, a, a couple of months ago and it was so beautiful because it was every, every, pro, every moment of that Kickstarter was quite terrifying yet magical and special to be part of because you know that no one's seen the script no one's seen a lot of work I've done a lot of the Americans haven't seen a lot of the Australian stuff and vice versa so I thought I I really don't know whether we're going to get there and I, I said to the hubby at the time I went 
if this happens because there was a lull as it as it, there often is halfway through, is. Yeah. yeah, and you sort of sit there like checking in, like not daily, like hourly. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. well, sounds familiar. We, <laughs> oh, you guys have done that yeah, as well. Yeah, we just finished our first short film. That it's terrifying. Through Indiegogo. Oh my gosh! Yeah. And I mean, yeah, it's, it's great, <laughs> but you like there are days where you're staring at it, going, "Come on, yeah, anybody, on. five just, bucks, just yeah, five bucks, give a me dollar. Five bucks. I'll take a dollar, just some progress, <laughs> just." Anybody, please love me. Yeah. <laughs> and halfway through, please believe in us. It becomes yeah, so that's personal. what it is. It, it, it really so does. Personal. It really does. And my and and Jamie said, "Look, you just got to let it go. It's not going to happen." And I and I looked at him and I went, "I didn't make it this far in all my years within this industry to just let it go. And I'm I may be obsessive and I may be highly." highly focused to put it politely <laughs> many other words we could use right there but focused um but you've got to keep believing and in yourself and in your dream and you know convincing people that this is a good way to go mm-hmm. so we you know did lots of little interesting promo things that we did and little uh, other little snippets and little video you know talks to camera and anything we could do to 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 get people on board and i i did say to jamie i went if 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 we pull this off, and I honestly didn't think halfway through that we would, this will be a sign from whatever's out there that dreams seriously do come true. Yes. And then the day, like the day that it all happened, it was like it was like, my wedding day was one of the most magical days in my life. But to tell you the truth, that day where we reached the goal, that was just so sensational and exciting and go people do want to tell good stories because you turn on the television there's so much crap out there so (laughs) it's so exciting that people want to commit to your vision you know you can go to a festival and see a lot of crap yeah Yeah. Yeah. the the short we did that we funded through indiegogo is the best film that i've i've ever directed so what happened and well we uh we had a much more modest budget that we were trying to raise. But, one-tenth um, of what you have. Yeah, one-tenth of what you raised. It's hard because that barely down, covers catering it came down on the, to the last. Day. It came down to the last 10, 10 hours of the campaign. Ugh. And, you know, it, it came off. We, we ended up a little bit over, and it was fantastic. But because that money was coming from people who support us, and it wasn't like money I worked on and saved myself for 10 months to shoot my little film or whatever. It was money that people put in because they supported us. Yeah. They believe in us. They believe in the things that we're doing. They want to see us make good product. I felt so much more motivated. It's huge. You know? Every day you go to set or every day along that journey, it's quite magical because these are people all over the world. Yep. That may know you, may not know you, may still believe, may, and that's quite. It's it's like there's very few things nowadays that we can do where we're a tribe. We can do we can act as a group to create a one, which is why the whole Henson Creature Shop is amazing too. Because when they had that little bit of drama with Tina and Russ, Brian immediately, I was seeing it and I was like, oh, here we go, we're going into reality TV nonsense land and within the, a heartbeat Brian Henson shut it down he goes this is not what creature designing or creating is about it's about working as a team to create a one and that's so beautiful because it's so rarely in life now do we you know we've got our text messages and our emails and our, I was almost about to say faxes that is not true so much <laughs> not so much anymore <laughs> but you know it, it's no so we I am technology. each other now 
I am text Facebook. It's weird, and it's and then you look like a stalker if you ever pick up the phone to call someone. It's like exactly. I mean, I know more people, the tops of people's heads, than I do their faces because they're all looking down at their phones. Yeah, I need to create some rules in my household. Like, like that's one of the I think. You need to you need to have some alone time without your phone because it's hard. You do you feel like you've got a, you've been amputated when you can't you know we, you can't get your cell phone service or whatever nowadays. Well, especially those of us who, I mean, we're all essentially entrepreneurs in this business. We all are pursuing projects, various projects, multiple projects all at once. We're waiting on a call from one person about one thing, and we're supposed to be making a call or writing an email to another person in the next thirty minutes about another thing. Yeah, and multitasking. It's like. so hard to detach from the phone because the phone's kind of the lifeblood of keeping your everything phone or going. Your computer, yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. I know when my internet goes out, I I, weird, I actually have it? the DTS. I cannot function without my computer. It's a bit bizarre, and you think and how fast we've we've let forward because really, when you think. I remember when dad picked me up and he had a car phone. It was the size of half the car. Yeah. Yes. And, and, you know, you'd, you look so cool. You had to hold it with two hands. It was that heavy. You had a big bag. <laughs> you had to Giant walk bag around. that you recorded to. You may as well yeah. just, like, have one of those pulley machines and push it like a public phone booth around. <laughs> um, but that's the whole uh, premise with hashtag, which is why I fell in love with it as well, because it's a really interesting comment of, on where we're all heading with modern technology, because it's this um, media maven, on, online media maven, and she's so obsessed with her 800 million subscribers and Twitter and Facebook and everything's an advertisement. And she lives in a 14 by 14 foot cubicle and there's cameras that watch her every breath, her every move, her every everything. And then slowly her world starts to unravel and she remembers what the real life was like. So I think it was it's just a really beautiful comment on on how crazy everything is with our obsession with modern technology. So I, you know, I think I think people will really appreciate it. That's awesome. Um, I have to ask the Farscape questions. Nope. I have to. No comment. Just have to. <laughs> <laughs> I have to. You have to say that your Could, best Rigel impression. Are you, are you a good Rigel impression? Don't I'll start crying <laughs> and cuddling you. <laughs> yeah. That might be motivation. The, mo- the monologue starts. <laughs> um, but you, you were originally only cast for one episode. Is that right? Yeah, I... I I got the audition and I love, I've always been very obsessed with Henson's and I just adore them so much. So there was nothing in my soul that would let that role go to anyone else. I was like, this has got to be, I've got to nail this. And when I went through all the different, uh, they took me to the optometrist and then they took me to the creature shop and then there was like eight different rounds of auditions and, and I never knew how extensive the makeup was until the, like, about six auditions in and then they started putting stuff on my face and I was like, oh, this is fantastic. I can just be crazy. <laughs> How long did the makeup take to put on? Three and a half hours every day for over five years, 14 to 16 hours a day, five days a week. Wow. Have you guys got that McDonald's ad where they go and they order everything on the menu? That's what that sounded like. Three and a half hours. <laughs> <laughs> but, but did it decrease at all? I mean, I know when they put Anthony... And as Dargo, it went from like two and a half hours down to an hour and a half. Uh, for many, many days, I begged for a second makeup artist because when you're under the pump and they have to get you ready, somehow it, 
they just slap it on and it does work, although you don't really want to be in those conditions, in under those conditions all the time because it's quite full on having stuff poked and prodded and pushed and pulled. But uh, they, uh, I think in the last season, we've did, we finally got, I think it was the last season, we finally got the second makeup artist and it was down to about three hours, two hours, 45, but they had to push it. It wasn't mm-hmm. a very com- comfortable procedure. <laughs> I was like, you make up that half, you make up that half. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, I actually went back and watched that first episode you were in today. Oh, Red um, Durka Returns. And uh, I was reminded, because it's been a couple of years since I watched any of them, I was reminded of how much I loved your movement mm-hmm. as Chiana. How did you approach the character? Because she's so distinct in the way she moves. And really, nobody else on the show moved like that. It was just, no, it was you. they weren't as drunk as me. <laughs> <laughs> One more rustlack. Um, I was just extremely passionate about creating a alien that fitted seamlessly into the world of Henson's. I wanted to be, I wanted to be on par with the Skeksis, and I wanted to be on par with Jen, and I wanted to be, I wanted to be part of that. I didn't want to be a human in alien makeup. I wanted to be an alien. So I'd done a lot of dance and a lot of experimental movement. And when I watched the episodes, because it wasn't on Australian television, when I auditioned for it, so we hadn't had no idea what this Farscape show was. So when I, uh, they gave me an episode and I saw a lot of amazing makeups and looks and I went, oh, my gosh, you can just... It's not like you're a doctor or a nurse or a cop or a robber or a lawyer. You're an alien. You can do whatever you want and no one stopped me. So I just kept going. <laughs> I don't know what, where she came from. She literally, I looked in the mirror and I just started playing around with movements and I wanted her to always be on the run. She was the only character that was running away from home and everyone else was running, trying to find their way back to home. And I love that. And so I wanted that, her to that's be... That's fascinating. I never even put that together really. Mm-hmm. She was the only That's one. Cool. Everyone else was desperately trying to get back to their, you know, their homeland. Yeah, and I was Rachel like, get out of here. Well, it's like she found her Crichton. home with them. Crichton. Yeah. Which yeah. Which was cool. Yep. 100%. And also the contact lenses were fantastic because they were, that you literally were looking through tunnel vision. So I think it helped. You di- I did feel like an alien because I couldn't see people around me. I couldn't until they were right in front of me kind of thing. Plus I was super, super scared and I was, you know, quite a lot younger than all those professional actors. So my defence mechanism was to screw with them as best as I could, whether it be through my movements <laughs> or my breath or my anything, you know. That was my, my, my teenager coming out. <laughs> well, and that's how she came across. She came across very much as a, a teenager on that ship, which... I think it was just a cool dynamic because that was like middle of the first season. Yeah. So everybody else had had time to kind of establish the seriousness of the show and everything. And then you came in and just brought a whole other dynamic yeah. to it, which was so know. cool. I mean, I'd never been trained in I, – I, I was a bit I, – I was and still am a extremely passionate method actor, so I try and make everything more real than my usual life. And, and a, a lot of actors – sort of poo-poo on that as well but that's that, that's a comfortable honest place for me to approach a role from so I uh, when I was working with um, Ben and Anthony and Claude and everything I just I I I, I felt 
a way to get over my insecurities was just to yeah, fool, fool, really tr- just try and fool around with them as best as I could. And the makeup made me so brave as well. You know, I don't think if I, if yeah, I was Gigi, I could do that. You yeah, know? you can actually act through that makeup. Yes, because the look is so powerful. Like yeah. the less you do, the more because you know we're also especially nowadays we're all overcompensate and blah 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 and talk over each other and stuff. If you just sit very quietly and be, you know, very in your own centre, it's quite interesting to see people gravitate towards you because you're this solid kind of still... Silence can be very strong. Very much. I'm not very good at the whole silence thing usually, but... (laughs) Now, the first time that she did it in front of the rest of the cast, did you feel that it changed their characters at all? How they approached you or how they approached each other? I don't know because I didn't, I hadn't seen the show properly, but I, I, Ben was my, that that was the one I really wanted to screw with because that was Chiana's in and she saw him as the king to getting whatever she wanted. So, and of course the woman uses her, you know, sexuality because that's, we're so, men put us in that position in a second. So that's an easy, that's an easy weapon. (laughs) And to make her well, as easily sweet. fall for it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was I, watching. I was watching you seduce him on the show today. Going, huh. I mean, it's so it's so funny because like every day I walk into the coffee shop and I'll come straight from yoga and I'll be gross and stinky and no makeup and you know half the time no shoes and yeah you know, people will be like who is this bum and every now and then I go in before an audition you know dressed up like this and it will be the same people will be like oh. And they, the mouths are agape and you're like, it's makeup, people, and a push-up bra. <laughs> it's all fake. <laughs> but it is. And these people I would have, they know me. They know me. But you, and they'd be like, and what's your name for the coffee? I'm like, uh, it's Shishi, the same person that's been in here like every day for a month, the stinky girl. <laughs> so it's all yoga interesting. Tea. Yeah, they're all yoga too. Yoga pays off, people. Yoga pays off. <laughs> so I think, yeah, Ben was definitely my... The person, my in, and 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 he was—he's an extremely anything I can use in the real person that I can try and put into the character. Like I remember, we had um, uh, there was a scene a few episodes in, and I give him a kiss because he saved my life, and we couldn't kiss on the rehearsal because the makeup would wipe off. So we'd just go in and, and pretend, and every now and then, you know, I'd give him a light peck, but nothing crazy. And so then they roll the cameras and they're like, all right, action. And I go, well, thank you for saving my life. And I go and I kiss him and he goes, <gasps> and he ju- literally, literally jumped out of his seat. I'm like, oh, my God, I should have had a mint. <laughs> Maybe a whole box of mints. Dude, he goes, you just kissed me. I'm like, what? That's, that's what, what this That's what it's the scene, script, big print. Chiana kisses Crichton. He goes, I know, but... I felt your tongue. I'm like, well, I don't know how you kiss. <laughs> like you're like a goldfish. I don't know. So, and, and then after that, you know, I'd pass him in the lunchroom and he'd be like, I kind of, I don't know how to express that on uh, vocally. But, um, the old shooter. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Totally. I'm like, dude, like what? <laughs> so it's interesting. Yeah, so I, all, all those funny little techniques. Like in university, I graduated, I think I'm, it's important for people to know that I'm extremely open book. You know, you followed my journey and I muck up all the time and I, I constantly walk around with my foot in my mouth, which is good for, you know, people that watch these shows and idolise these people on television and go, oh, my God, they're superheroes. It's not true. <laughs> We're more than real and muck up and, you know, very humble and very appreciative and 
so I, I've never really known what I've wanted to do with my life. I just followed my little heart and really worked and worked and worked and worked really hard to try and achieve it because I figure sooner or later the universe will provide if I keep following my heart and working my bum off. So um, when I graduated school, I went straight into university and it was a three-year course where you graduated with a Bachelor of Arts and you also uh, focus a lot on acting like five hours a day and sword fighting and yoga and voice and training and blah, blah, blah. So from that, uh, there was no on-camera. The only on-camera thing we had was news reading where the guys would muck around with the girls and try and fast-forward the teleprompter and, like, that was the extent of our on-camera work kind of thing. And then I went on a fast game. So I had no it's idea what I was doing. Yeah. None. And now I look back, I'm like, those poor crew. Like, I was just a method actress, like, trying to get, you know, be an alien. And, like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even know how to hit a mark or that you're not meant to, you know, take over other people's lines in ADR because then they can't ADR it and, you know, all the other te- te- I had no idea. I just literally learned by being It was thrown. on the job yep. training. 100%. And so I, those people I, I, were I very think patient. That artists, that's it's what we face most of our life anyway. Everything that I've ever learned as an artist, it's always been on the job training. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, you and can you can learn theory at school, but you don't learn much of the practicalness of being on a set or being in a theater. Yeah. And every set is different. So so it different. really is. Yeah. And it takes. I think it's important for actors, especially, to remind themselves that every part of that crew is as important as every other part because sometimes I've seen etiquette go down on the set where I'm just bemused I'm like dude it's just acting like if you start to put yourself in an egotistical bubble then how can you ever relate to a normal do you think the attitude of acting is different in Europe and in like Australia New Zealand versus the United States I've kind of heard that that it kind of is it's like Australians and New Zealanders and Europeans, they will go to a job. It's a job. That's all it is. Whereas some of the people here will go into this going, I want to be famous. I don't know. I think it's, I, th- I feel like it's more like an individual, surely there's got to be a cultural difference. Mm-hmm. I, I haven't picked it so much uh, with the culture. I picked it more just in individuals as to what different people want out of it which is totally fine if you want to be rich and famous go for it but just respect people along the way and mm-hmm. be human <laughs> <laughs> yeah so it's the very interesting you know very interesting different and it's also what you brought up with and what you expect out of the industry and I find too it is a very nerve-wracking environment and sometimes when we're nervous we do we act funny Mm-hmm. So maybe that also adds to it as well. And we are a bit more defensive or a bit more bossy or a bit more, you know, and you don't realise it until you go home or someone catches you out or something like that. But I just think the magical, beautiful thing about this industry is telling a story together and that's always more than close to my heart. And I definitely think that that's lost me some jobs sometimes and because and there's been certain uh, productions that I've, I've been asked to audition for uh, through my agent and I just... I don't want to commit to telling, surely we, there have been some things that I've done to pay the bills because we all have to do it, but I don't want to commit to, I'm not very good with horror, even though I have no disrespect for it, but horror and like gratuitous, you know, whether it be sex or violence or whatever, like I love, I love strong, I love thrillers. And I love, you know, Sixth Sense and I love that kind of vibe. And I'm sure, you know, you can have a bit of blood and guts if it's called for. 
that I've noticed in no, so no many Psalm movies. For you. Oh my god, <laughs> stop! And those poltergeist things are terrifying. The, the poltergeist thing, the billboards. Yeah, the I'm like, <laughs> and then there's a bus that says, "This is how you die," and there's like blood coming out of the girl's eye. I'm like. Are you kidding me? I don't want to have kids just so that kid doesn't see that. <laughs> I'm going to go. This Every is how, time this I go is how by you one live. Of those billboards and, with yeah. the clown doll on it, I freak out. It's I hate terrifying. That. terrifying. The original Poltergeist is still for me, hands down, the film that scares the. The living. What is that? Come to the light, Carolyn. Yeah. Is that that one? That yeah. one. Yeah. Oh gosh! Yeah. I would have met the, the girl. Light, I would stay away from the light. Yeah. The reverse. But the, <laughs> the the little boy in that movie is terrorized by his clown doll. Oh, is that Which me? crawls under his bed. Don't, stop. Creeps Don't. around. And You've now it freaks me, me out. Yeah, to this day, it still freaks me out. I can't watch that movie without being like Dave likes hiding under my blanket. I, I can watch everything else. The gore stuff doesn't bother me, but that, that, that stupid clown. clown in Poltergeist <laughs> gets me every time. I tell you, I was, the, I was an usher at a movie theater in my hometown, and we were playing Pol- Poltergeist. Uh, when it first came out, and that that one scene where the kid gets attacked by the by the clown. Are we still talking about the clown? <laughs> yes. Oh my Sorry. god! But I just want to friends to the say, end. Yes. <laughs> well, uh, at one point he finally fights back against the clown, and he starts ripping it apart. Like Two biggest Ted. screams that happened. One was when he first got attacked by the clown. It was a big surprise. Everybody got scared. The second one was a big cheer when he started ripping the clown apart. <laughs> What's wrong with our world? Oh, my God. Of course, you know, in the modern version, all the little parts now will go after him. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then it won't they, stop. Oh, thank you for that. The new thing. <laughs> um, but that's one of, one of the exciting things when now, you know, I, I read scripts like that, like hardcore horrors or like Wolf Creek, I was asked to audition for the girl that was strapped to the pole and I couldn't do that. I couldn't do that. I don't want to put bad stuff in people's heads. This world's so crazy as it is, and and I get if you, uh, no disrespect if that's what you like watching or getting into, but I just I don't want to be part of that movement. So that's probably lost me a few points from through agents along the way, and maybe you know. There's a lot of work watching, in that. A lot. There's a lot. a lot of horror films being made. Yeah. So then it's um, coming back to the convention thing. So after the uh, creature shop uh, didn't happen, I started because uh, I was over here. Um, I was now separated from my husband and needed to pay bills and move on with life and now I'm a single mum of MacGyver and Louie that eat treats from sunrise to sunset. I I, I don't think I can have kids. I'm too busy caring after these two fluff buckets. Um, So anyway, so then I, uh, so I've been doing the conventions, which is great because one, I get to reconnect with people that are supported and help me along the way. Two, now conventions are so great because it's not just hardcore sci-fi, it's comics and it's as it was before, but it's pop culture. And so many talented people, like that's how we all connect. It, it mm-hmm. can meet at these conventions and go, hey, come on my podcast or hey, look at this short film or, but, you know, and you join forces and it's so, so, so rewarding and exciting. So I spoke to this uh, uh, Marco Bannon and he came up to me at WonderCon and he was like, oh, my friend Jimmy Diggs, he's got this uh, animated series. You know, it's the first animated series that he wants to get off the ground for Star Trek. I'm like, well, where's my job? And he's like, well, let's give him a call. And so now I'm working with Jimmy Diggs and we're looking at doing this Kickstarter in a, a few weeks. And Garrett Wang's attached as well. 
and there's a few other names oh, bubbling. Love Garrett. Garrett, we love is, Garrett. He's such a sweet we, guy. We love Garrett. He's he because his name starts with a G. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he's extremely talented too. Yeah, and the, that's the thing is that there's so many. Like I look at this sci-fi circuit, and also you know the people that are working at the conventions, and there's so many unemployed actors that are so talented. So it's great that we get these opportunities to join, to, to, to come together and make amazing projects together. So now together. we have to hook you up with the SciFest people here in L.A. Sure. For the plays. Yeah, sure. So what's that all about? Um, Dave, you want to explain that one? Because you can probably explain Sci-Fest, it better. It's actually going on right now um, at the Acme Theater. Oh, cool. Um, so you should go see if you can get in. Um, You've got the creds. You should be able to just walk in. <laughs> um, but it's uh, it's it's sci-fi one-act plays. Gr- groups of them. They have two groups. They have an a-, a run and a B run. And they alternate weeks over the course of the month of May. And it's like five, five one-acts a night. And wow, they're all sci-fi cool. based. And this year they've got uh, scripts. They've got a script from Neil Gaiman. Gaiman. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gaiman and, uh, and Clive Barker. Um, in the mix, which is really cool, but that it's it's totally cool to see sci-fi on stage, like you you know live theater. You, yeah, yeah. Sure. How often do you get to see that, right? Yeah, and a, and a lot of established sci-fi actors and up-and-coming sci-fi actors. Right. Yeah, oh, I yeah think it's it's very time. cool. Yeah. yeah, they do a recreation of a radio play live in front of the stage, in front of the audience. And the last last year we saw one, and it was. Filled with uh, all these different people, Tim from Russ, st- Tim Russ, Shimmerman, oh, right. all these people from. Oh, Tim Russ is in the Jimmy Diggs project as well. Oh, wonderful! Tim Russ is in like every, every independent Star Trek thing going yes. on. Good. Well, you know, it's, it's the man good, keeps giving back, and that's a good sign for people to realize too. Is that we, you know, again, we're actors and we, you know, we want to work and we want to use our talents and everything. So it's really exciting to. Like I've also been talking to Lee Arenberg and to Vernon Wells, and if I hear about a good, you know, great project, I'm like, guys, this is a good thing. Come and check this out, you know. And they've saved me from a couple of interesting ones as well along the way, and they've also, you know, joined joined together and and uh, helped make some amazing projects as well. But the um, the Jimmy Diggs project, if people want to check it out, it's called Star Trek Beyond the Beyond the Stars, and uh, it, it it is actually um, I went in there and I met up with Jimmy Diggs, which is He's quite the character. And uh, I did the little chat to camera for the Kickstarter pitch and he had the composer come and watch the chat to camera because he wanted the composer to know me because each character has a theme song. And I was like, this is like every little girl's dream. And he goes, and then we want to make action (laughs) figures. And then uh, the other thing is, is this is what the process is. We're going to capture you in motion capture and animate you and you still get to act the scenes out so it is literally you acting it and then we transfer the, that So it's going to be a 3D to animated? Yeah. That's and I'm cool. like, oh, my yeah. gosh, let's do it now. <laughs> <laughs> and then he said because my character's a fighter pilot who leads, so she's the head of, a, head, of a, head of the fighters and she, um, I said, this is a – as we were chatting before and I said, look, I'm a lover, not a fighter, so this is a totally new thing for me. So I need to really research this a lot. So uh, they're going to take me down to San Diego and introduce me to some of the team down there and hopefully suit me up in a bit of a little sexy fighter girl outfit. Woo! (laughs) 
I'll get your photos. So. <laughs> and then they're going to give me the rundown as to what actually goes all the ins and outs and the protocol and everything about fighter pilots. So yeah, well, I can't as wait. a lover, not a fighter, you can approach being a pilot like a lover yeah. because you and that aircraft are one. Yeah, yeah. You know, you've got to feel everything that that, sh- that ship is feeling. You've got to be in, in sync with it. Yeah. You know, so you can approach it from that way, not so much from the fighting way. Yeah. And I just felt it was so good also because as we're, at, you know, they're really interesting. It's been a really interesting journey as well because when I'm doing the chat to camera, I can see Jimmy and he's watching me and he's literally creating this character as we speak. And he goes, I've got it now, your character. Because it's like four different stories that are intertwined together to make a one, and you don't realise they're they're all sort of interrelated until you you know the cogs start turning. And uh, I he mentioned the character's name. I said, "Is that set in stone? Like, is she already a, a Star Trek character?" And he goes, "No, no, this is some, someone we haven't met before." And I said, "Well." can I maybe be called Misha or Frankie or like a fighter pilot kind of sexy femme fatale name? And he's like, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. I said, what about Madison? He's like, Madison, that's it. So we came up with it together. So that was so, you know, it's like a real collaborative. Madison's a good, good, Madison's a good Star Trek name. I like Madison. I love it. Yeah. And and until you see an actual face, I mean. Yeah, that's it. You don't know if it's male or female. Oh, there you go. Oh, yeah. So that's really cool. And she's a French-Australian. So I was like, oh, Madison Delacour. <laughs> it's really like cool theme song. It's really, really beautiful. Like that was the first thing I put said every night when I go to bed, I say my affirmations out to whoever's out there. And I, I just, you know, said, please, again, show me some, some kind of sign that I'm moving forward in life. And I woke up to a text message from Jimmy Diggs, you know, one of the most successful freelance writers for Star Trek, and it's like, hey, here's your theme song. I'm like, thank you. As <laughs> so I'm waking up to my theme song. <laughs> so that was pretty cool. Everybody should have a theme song. Yeah. Life would be better if we had soundtracks. I know. Isn't it that, that thing from Family Guy? And he's mm-hmm. got the theme song. Peter's got his yeah. little traveling music. Yeah, totally. <laughs> just go with our boom boxes and our car phones. <laughs> just made Steve's night. <laughs> he's a Family Guy fanatic. Are you? Oh, oh yes. I kind of hate it just to spite him. Just, just for, <laughs> just because. Shut up, Dave. Shut up, Dave. <laughs> now, Keep speak, it to yourself. Now, speaking as, as a storyteller, I mean, do you ever want to go from the front of the screen to the back of the screen? To, she has. To, yeah, I have, yeah, to, to write and to direct? Yeah, I did. I wrote this piece called, no, I co-wrote it, sorry, called Nobody Knows. And it was about an experience that happened on Farscape because I thought, well, if I'm, if I'm going to create something, it needs to be something that I know very well. So uh, I we spent about $30,000 and uh, we. I'm such a fanatic as you guys know so it had to be perfect and it was really really hard like I, I felt like I knew this business and you know I've been on sets ever since I've been 12 years old but when you go on the other side of the camera it's you, a different world oh my goodness you really need to know how to multitask and even and the hours that the people on the other side of the camera put in is yeah, insane absolutely and then pe- <laughs> actors were coming up to me <laughs> yeah, actors were coming up to me and asking 
actor questions, which I always ask, and I'm like, oh, shut up. <laughs> Just bloody act, you know. But this is all the stuff. That I'm like, but what, what's my motivation? <laughs> if I move this way, does it change the, the lighting? I mean, no, actors never ask that question. No. Never. No. What's no, my good never. side? Actors, are, what's your actors good side? are ignorant of light. Yes. So, um, so that was very special, and I would like to look into that some more. But something that I have been very passionate about lately is I've, I'm working with this band, and we're called The Fancies, and we just went out to Joshua Tree and we recorded a cover of the Black Keys, Tighten Up, and that was really awesome because I love seeing because you cannot hide behind a character. You're so raw and so naked, and it still terrifies me, so you get that crazy adrenaline rush. So that's a project that we've been working on and we've actually got a, uh, a gig this weekend at North Hollywood um, Farmer's Markets. Like we're literally still just getting our set list together and, and it's so hard to try and wrangle two people, let alone five people, because everyone's an actor and everyone's a musician and everyone has day jobs and normal jobs. <laughs> and So it's been very, very fun but challenging to get everyone on the same page and, you know. But now, now, when you say recorded, did you just lay down the track or did you do a video? Or So we recorded the track uh, and then so we recorded, recorded it in a studio and then uh, I said, this track is so cool, let's go out, let's make a video, a music clip. And, it, and everyone's like, yeah, yeah, okay, let's do that. And someone said, let's go out to Joshua Tree. I'm like, yeah, yeah. So we did for four days and it was so much fun and it's, it's such a funny world out there. Like if you... I love Joshua it's Tree. So it's magical. Like, it's like being in a Dr. Seuss. It really show. is. It's re- and like we, we shot at this old roadhouse, and we actually had to move. Pardon me. We had to move parts of the roadhouse around because it looked like a fake set, but it actually was not. <laughs> it was like the real roadhouse, you know. And the the extras with the missing teeth and the mishmash attitudes like you go what do you people do out here are you all just (laughs) cooking meth or what (laughs) What and they they live in these funny little shacks and we're looking at them like they're the aliens and they're looking at us like we're the aliens I'm like you know what I think you're right I'm the alien here (laughs) yeah they're like we just live simple life you're out here with cameras and stuff yeah exactly (laughs) more more hipsters from the city (laughs) that's so funny so the music thing, I mean, is that something you really want to pursue hard? Or? Yes, definitely. Because yeah. ultimately, I would love to do a secret garden tour. My, I used to play with my little brother in Australia, and it was very easy because it was just him and I, just two people to organise. Although he is 10 years younger than me, and I had to bring the whip out a couple of times. It was a lot easier to, to get together and jam and stuff just with one person. So uh, I, for fun, one day when I was doing a convention flying from the East Coast to the West Coast, put on Facebook and I said, "Um, guys, please convince my brother to come over here because we we can do it. We'll travel the world and we'll do a secret garden tour. And I just thought it was, you know, funny little whatever. And then when I got into L.A., the response on Facebook was overwhelming. There was like a person in Texas going, I've got acreage, I've got a huge ranch. There's a person in Malibu going, I've got a you know, mansion that overlooks the sea. You can, we'll host you, but Backyard Jam. And they're all over, from London, from everywhere, from Australia. And people were really getting on board. I went, oh, my gosh, this might actually have legs. So when I started working with the fancies, I said, you know, it would be really cool because we've got this fan base out there and I think people would really dig it and what we can do is give every, keep it very simple to start off with and just to see, you know, maybe pick five places 
you know, four places in LA, maybe one in Europe or whatever else. And we get our RV and we travel around America and then, you know, you do your one international gig to Australia or Europe. And you have a skeleton documentary crew that film it along the way. And we'll then do you that. can make yep. it done. We'll Sign. <laughs> Starting and now. Uh, about three minutes ago, I was thinking, yeah. I wonder if she wants a documentary crew. I wonder if she wants a documentary crew. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there going, photograph. So, so, <laughs> so I think that because um, the whole idea of this the thing is it's bringing – people together one jam session one song one backyard one country one state one country at a time and it's all about the community so yeah Yeah. and so what happens is really the idea started because before I went to FedCon my little brother said Matt Corby has put on this uh, competition and it's uh, he was actually like one of the runner-ups that won Australian Idol in Australia uh, but what people don't realise with those huge shows is that you literally sell your soul to the producers. So anything right. that you make and any money you make, you, you, you lose because they take all the profits and whatever. That's right. my vague, very vague. Yeah, you, you basically get a, a stipend for subsistence and that's about it. Yeah, so he was broke and he was travelling around. And he goes, <laughs> he just put online, he said, look, my, I just want to come and jam in your backyard. And so you host the event. And you advertise it and people come rock up and they pay 10 bucks, 20 bucks, whatever. And then I said, well, look, what would be good is if you, each place that you go to, you give back 10% profits to the charity of that, that hosts or that town's choice. So you're not just going in there and, you know, jamming and off you go, giving something back to the community. And then the other cool thing I thought you could do is so you get a nice online presence and you also get a good um, conversation happening with the people that you're about to meet is you go, who wants to open for the fancies? If you've got like a cool talent, doesn't have to be singing, could be fire twirling, it could be juggling, it could be poetry, it could be whatever, upload it on our site and we'll all choose who will be the yeah. couple of people. Online will, audition. Yeah, or- and it's just something fun and relaxed. It's not like The Voice or Australian Idol or anything. It's just people. And again, and then you get to highlight you know, some local talent. Yeah, and then you get to once again work with people and bring that community together. So that's a, that that would be an, another ultimate dream because there was something about the industry that, as I said before, it's it's getting to be quite grueling. So so, so it's kind of like a, a one, two, three, maybe four act show mini, a mini uh, Woodstock. Yeah, that would be good to start off. Can you imagine? A, a very, very tame Woodstock. Yes. What, I, what I'm envisioning right now is... Um, that a music video of one of your song that's being shot in all of these cities and all of these backyards and it's all intercut. Yeah, 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 exactly. exactly. Going from one backyard to the next and it's all the same song. Yeah, that could did be you really see cool. the? That did you really you didn't cool. see the Maroon 5 video that came out for Sugar, did you? you you're talking to the wrong Maroon people. 5 had this beautiful video that they did for their song Sugar yeah. um, where they took a day back in December and they surprise performed at like a dozen weddings here in Los Angeles. How cool! And oh the video gosh. is is literally shots of them going in in their convertible from gig to gig, the crews moving their performance stuff from wedding to wedding and setting up yeah. in the middle of these receptions and people not knowing what the hell's going on. And then this curtain drops down and there's Maroon Five singing Sugar. <laughs> and 
blowing edit, all these people away. And it's your wedding, it's your magic. Yeah, it was like, day. you'd just be like, whoa. So the whole music video is that. It's like all these different weddings and them performing at the wedding the exact same song wow. on each one. It's very cool. It's a cool video. That sounds amazing. But yours would be cool because it'd be all over the world, right? Yeah, you know? well, yeah. I just thought, like, keep it really simple. Obviously, you know, you're not out to make lots of money. It's going to be literally paying just, you know. The gas. Yeah, <clears throat> covering costs. And then. Yeah, but things that are worth doing are worth doing not because they pay you, but because they're. Going they feel your spirit. Yeah. yeah. And no. t- being very, you know, learning how to reconnect with people again. There's that really cool film called Craig's Joe. And it's this guy, I think he was a, a really successful, you know, casting guy or something in LA. And he goes, I'm over it. I'm done. Like, it's what I do is soulless and I want to reconnect with the community. So, Craig's, it was when Craig's has just sort of had come about, I think. And he's, he made it his mission to try and travel across America just from the kindness of people or bartering his services. And that's where that's where we got the kind of idea from as Did well. Did he make a film of that? Yeah, Craigslist Jones. Oh, yeah, I think I've seen actually it? seen parts of that. Yeah, it's on Netflix. I've, yeah. I've seen the, uh, really the poster good. for it. Really good. Yeah, we, we just had the uh, similar experience working on this short film. I mean, we were supposed to be, what, three days in Idlewild? Two days in Idlewild. Two, two days in this cabin. Two nights. Two, two nights, nights in Idlewild in this cabin. We got snowed people. in. Oh, what? We got snowed in. We ended up being there four nights, five days. Oh, my God. It was, it was amazing. It was, it was, you know, and, and uh, at least two feet. of the people there, like, it was pretty much the first time we'd hung out with them. You know, the, really? So it was the, How many days? my co writer. We, we ended up being there five days, four nights, five days. Yes. And we're how many to be were you into? Two. Oh. two. <laughs> Um, the universe made that happen. It was amazing. And it actually made for some amazing scenes in our movie because we ended up shooting the cabin in the snow and these giant snowflakes coming down on the cabin and stuff. Made for an amazing opening to our movie. But but yeah, it was totally unplanned. And and it kind of played a a little serendipity with the script. (laughs) And the clown comes out. (laughs) Don't do that. (laughs) No, 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 we we had had squirrel. We had squirrel. You had squirrels. Yeah, it's like a Monty Python, the rabbit. Right? What is it? The, 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 the bunny. Bunny. <laughs> <laughs> the big pointy teeth. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, that's a funny. That's it right there. What behind the rabbit? That's a rabbit. <laughs> we have, we were surrounded by squirrels. I actually showed it to my American friend, and I'm like, "Dude, check out this!" And I am rolling on the floor laughing, and he's like, "I don't get it." <laughs> so I think, Holy Grail? Yeah, yeah. Really? I think also. Holy Grail played nonstop on one of the closed circuit TV channels at my high school. Oh my gosh. The entire three years I was in high school. Well, because I thought maybe there's a big difference between English humor, which is where our it's very dry. come from, English to American. Because if people see The Office and they, I watch, I like both of them. But again, if I showed The English Office to people, Americans, sometimes they'd, they wouldn't rate it compared to The American Office. Well, it's not funny what we grow up with. I love British humor. I love British television. I'm a huge Doctor Who fan. Yes. You know, um, I didn't watch the American Office hardly at all. I didn't like it. You know, I didn't watch. But I'll watch. I'll watch. I wasn't a big fan of it at all. I'll watch the European Office. I'll watch Extras. Extras is so good. Oh, I love Idiot Abroad. Um, And also, also the. Oh, I love that. Sweetie, darling, sweetie, darling. She wakes up with the cigarettes. Oh, it's so wrong. It's so right. <laughs> oh, I love the one where uh, there was a fire in the kitchen, and Patsy was was 
was face down on the table, and everything is just charred or, black. Or tacos, yeah. <laughs> she just pulls her head up, and it's like half of it is just black. <laughs> she still has clever. a cigarette in her mouth. I wonder um, what happened to what are those girls doing now? Wasn't Joanna she, Lumley is. Wasn't she doing you know, something recently? Well, uh, Jennifer Saunders, uh, huge comedian. So she uh, does stand up and everything. She does that with her writing partner, uh, Don French. Uh, 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 the French and Saunders, they, they had a, their own variety show. They, they did like three or four t- different television shows, I believe. For I told you he's full of all sorts of useless yeah. knowledge. Isn't he? Yeah. Uh, Don French, she had the great uh, uh, sitcom called The Vicar of Dibley. She she played this uh, the town vicar in this little little English countryside. Yeah, and it was just absolutely hilarious. Oh my gosh. And it was this is how old it is. The current Doctor Who. Okay, this is just totally useless Peter information. Peter Capaldi. Peter Capaldi, <laughs> a very young Peter Capaldi was her love interest in this show, and he had this long hair. <laughs> it was just. I like it. I love comedy. It's one thing because when I was um, in between, it was actually after Nobody Knows, I, I used up all my money uh, trying to pay off those credit cards. It's like a never-ending never yes. story. Yes. Never-ending credit card. <laughs> so I'm a luck dragon. Oh, my gosh. That's what my little MacGyver looks like. He looks like, is it Falcor or yes, Falcor? Yes, that's He's, Falcor. It's yeah. all about that. <laughs> I don't want what, to sleep in that case? Yeah. <laughs> so... Um, uh, so yeah, in between uh, when I just originally met Jamie, uh, we were, were um, li- living in a huge, huge house, like a five-bedroom house, with about ten other people and some couples shared room. Nothing kinky. It's just we were all tr- struggling to get by, and all of these people were pilots, and they had we all had well, they all had reputable jobs, but because coming from Minnesota to LA, things are a lot more expensive. So we lived in this huge, huge house and... Um, Pilots tend to do that a lot. Which lived in huge, huge houses? With lots of people. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I've got a few friends who are pilots. Really? It seems to happen a lot. Yeah. So, because they don't get paid that well these days, you know? Well, not the pilot Depends on I'm what in. they're flying, yeah. Because my friend flies now the big jets for Delta and he's really, you know, when you think of... Because, you know, growing up as a kid, you go, oh, a pilot, you're like a god. <laughs> Well, they were treated that you way. You must sleep in sleep in hundred dollar bills. You know? Anyway, so we all lived together, and um, when I ran out of money because I was putting everything into nobody knows, I said to my dude, I was like, I've got to go back to Australia because I feel pretty confident I can get a job back there. And he goes, Why would you do that when you haven't you found the perfect job? Why don't you street perform with me? I went, I'm not street performing with you, you fool. <laughs> <laughs> the next day, crying in my roller skates. You're twirling fire, dressed up as a stupid assistant. I was street performing. <laughs> and that lasted for like two years. And it was actually the top two years of my life as well because it was so good to be, you know, so well looked after in the early days and back-to-back shows and Farscape and earning really decent cash and everything and sh- sharing it with everyone that I loved. That when it came to an end, it was so refreshing to be literally working on the streets and there's no there's no TV screen to protect you from the comments of the drunk guys or the little kids that hate the show or the whatever but there's also no TV screen to protect you from the people that are really inspired by it and excited by it and you go oh my gosh this is amazing and literally like little kids would come up and you the parents would go you've changed their lives that that was amazing you know and be really 
it's, it was a really beautiful thing and it's all on the honour system and it's all on the way that you, you know, you, you do this uh, performance for these people and they could well, after 40 minutes, walk away and that did happen a lot, you know, you work your bum off for 40 minutes and... 90% of the audience can did literally we just, just wear out our welcome. Yeah, they're here for you, Steve. Oh, okay. <laughs> How did they find me? Cops. 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 Uh, this is not a donut shop. What are you doing here? So <laughs> They want some pizza pie. So the one thing that I thought uh, that I learned through street performing is comedy is a huge way to make when you connect with people. We were doing really, really hard tricks, but people didn't know. People didn't get it until because in, in America – you do the hard tricks and people kind of get it and whatever and there's a couple of jokes thrown in. Then we went to Australia and we definitely were doing harder tricks than a lot of the other acts but we weren't nearly as funny and we would make a quarter of the price because people <laughs> want to be entertained and they want to forget about the crappiness that's happening in their lives and they want to be, you know, and like there was literally this guy, his whole act was driving a remote control car uh, at the end of it was putting a torch on the remote control car and driving it over a ramp. That's all it was. <laughs> but he was hysterical. And at the end, people would come with $20 bills and $10 bills and because he found a way to get into those people's hearts and connect with them. So, yeah, co- comedy is a big, special, beautiful technique that we could all, all invest some more time and energy comedy's into. Comedy's hard. Yes. Comedy's Very hard. Mm-hmm. I'm a lot better that's being why I love dramatic so than comedy. Yes. <laughs> than no, that's why I love it so much. Yeah. I've tried doing stand-up. I tried just uh, writing comedy. And I He's still trying to find out how to be funny, but he loves it. <laughs> that was Thank funny. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. <laughs> Feel the love, Steve. Feel the Feel love. The love. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm going to have to drive this guy home. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. This just got awkward. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, it's always awkward with Steve. Yes. Steve, <laughs> awkward is my wheelhouse. They really pick on you, don't don't they? Poor Steve. I'm uh, going to make a shirt that says, poor Steve. Oh, that's a good idea. Please. Please. <laughs> hashtag poor, poor Steve. Poor Steve. No, please make Steve We need a theme to create song. a little animated character of you that's always don't nebbish, be sad. A little nebbish, like Ziggy. You guys are funny. Yeah, we, uh, we like to bash on each other a little bit. Yeah, that's a little that's bit. the humor of the show. Yeah. <laughs> Mostly bashing on me, but you know. yeah, yeah. It's Steve. also the humor of our regular life too. But you know, yes, yeah. <laughs> it works yeah. on the show. <laughs> Been putting up with this for fifteen years with this guy, right? Here. Oh, well, sixteen obviously, years. Sixteen years. You guys have a, a strong. Now this is getting awkward again. A strong, deep connection. I was going to say, but let's just let's well, just talk a, about something else. Well, you know, that's a different you podcast. Don't have to put altogether. the word deep in it. Just strong yeah, connection. Is strong fun. connection. <laughs> you go any further than that, it's a oh, completely deep, different podcast. Moist, yeah, made it awkward. What? Oh, don't use the M word. Oh. Use the M word. Wet. Gianna just slipped in and, there. And, and meanwhile, I'm in the corner blushing as, as usual. <laughs> I thought that was just your uh, wind-burned face. <laughs> what? What's going on? What, what have you been doing? Have, you, have the boys made you sit on the roof racks up the way from San Diego? No, she, uh, she's been working with my sister. Uh, we, we just recently, my family helped uh, helps uh, operate a 24-field soccer complex down in San Diego. What? And Manchester City held a youth soccer tournament at the fields this weekend and she helped at the fields with the uh, the parking. Aww. So she was taking money at the gate and handing off uh, parking tickets and stuff. And yeah, and I'm covered. covered from head to toe except for my face. Of course, of course. <laughs> we don't think about that, do we? And, nope. uh, yeah, I get it. 
<laughs> um, but anyway, I wanted to say that if people were kind of into checking me out and my journeys and stuff, because I do lots of conventions now that I'm here, and I'm always up for ideas if people ever want to throw scripts or thoughts or productions at me, you know you know me. So um, I've got a website, which is my name, shejiedji.com, and that has a link to my Facebook and my Twitter and my travels throughout the uncharted territories. And we'll, it also we'll has a lot sure of good... We'll be sure to put that URL in the show notes so cool. people can easily find it. Thank mm-hmm. you. At our website, ixe.us. And it also has a lot of very cute dog and pussycat pictures. <laughs> <laughs> and unicycle pictures, I, I would hope? Well, not as many as they used to be. I haven't got to get back on my bike. Oh, that's hilarious. Um, so what is next for you? What is the, where, where can people see you? So what, what's next for me is we're waiting. The hashtag is in post-production. So that okay. should be out in a few months. Uh, and as I said before, we want to take it to Sundance and Cannes and Toronto. And then we want to uh, show its magnificence to people and give it back to private investors and say, this is what we can do for 44 grand. Now let's see what we can do for a bit more and create a full-length feature or a series, depending on what those investors want to do. Maybe take it back to Kickstarter, depending. Well, if you uh, and the rest of that production team are interested, we'd be happy to do like a, a big group podcast and talk about the show yeah, and what amazing. you guys want to do and stuff. Oh, that'd be cool. Thank you. Just let us know. That'd be great. Happy to set that up. And then the project with Jimmy Diggs, which is Star Trek Beyond the Stars, that's another project that's bubbling at the moment, which is is very exciting for me to, to be... Um, to manifest myself in in as an animated character, that's very exciting. So, yeah. well, it means you're moving into another franchise too. Yeah, very very cool. Another franchise with a very devoted fan base. Absolutely, and I'm I'm ready for and very excited and to be working with uh, Jimmy and Garrett and and Tim Russ, and then uh, the Fancies. My band is of course very close to my heart as well. So that music video will be coming out in a couple of months as well. Okay, do they have a website yet? We have a Facebook page, which is literally very slapdash. That's my web designing skills again. So you can all tune in and check it out and have a laugh at it. <laughs> and you spell it the Fancies, as in the, and then F A N C I S. If you need a web designer, we can maybe help you with that too. Hey, what are you trying to say? You should see my websites. Oh, maybe not. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Thank you so much. It's like amazing to get to sit and chat with you. Thank you so much. Actually, an hour and 12 minutes now. I'm sorry. I was wondering why Steve was asleep. Oh, no, he sleeps all the time. He's like narcoleptic. (laughs) Every once in a while he pops away and goes, it's a race. (laughs) Yeah, I think think it's very, it's very, Thank you so much for having me. It's an absolute pleasure talking with you guys and kindred spirits and people that believe in telling good stories and and getting them out there no matter what. Yeah. Thank you again. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you. No, thank you. No, thank you. And Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash IXE. Over 150,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Audible.com is your source for digital audiobooks. My personal favorite is Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, read by Stephen Fry. It's amazing. So get your free 30-day trial and free audiobook download and show your support for the intellectual podcast by going to www.audibletrial.com slash IXE.